the vision that God has given us, this student ministry, for what we are going to be all about in 2019. Our vision statement for this year that we're only three months into is this. We will equip our students, our staff, our volunteers. We will equip them to desire and then do God's will. That is what we are all about every single day this school year and beyond. Now, what is God's will for us? If you are a believer in Jesus, if you are not yet a believer in Jesus, I will tell you God's will for your life. It comes from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It is the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples, to his people, to us before ascending to heaven. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands, all the words I have given you. God's will for you and I in this life is to make disciples, to tell people this is who God is and this is who He created us to be. What is a disciple? Our definition um, there are lots of ways you can look at it, but this is the meat of what a disciple is as per what we just read in Matthew 28. A disciple is a baptized believer of Jesus Christ who obeys God's word. Disciples believe that Jesus is real, that he was God's son, that he died for them on the cross, that he was resurrected on the third day and has made a way so that we can have eternal life, so that we can live in the power of the Spirit on life on earth. Disciples believe in Jesus, and they declare their faith. They declare it like the ways Javi's going to tell us about in Life Hacks today. They declare it, first step, by getting baptized. Baptism, an outward expression of an inward decision. Baptism is the first step of obedience. Um, it is you declaring, I, I need Jesus, I want Jesus, I belong to Jesus. Disciples also obey God's word, not, not with perfection. We, we're not going to get it right all day, every day. I certainly don't, but we're willing to believe what this book says, and we're willing to put it into practice, and we continue to try to do better and better. And then finally, disciples go and make. They go and make more disciples. They go and share who God is and what he's done for them with anybody, with everybody who will listen. Now, we are in the middle of a series called The Vineyard Initiative. And we are discussing in this series, one per week, the seven actions, the seven verbs of being an effective disciple. And we have talked about three verbs each week leading up to now, and today we're going to hit the fourth. We get these verbs from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, the scripture that God gave me years ago when I asked, how are we to make disciples in the student ministry? And I opened my Bible to Isaiah 5, 1 through 2, and here's what it said. My beloved, who is God, had a vineyard, which is us, on a rich and fertile hill, which is the life God invites us to live. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. Now, if God has this amazing thing that he's offering to us, verb number one is we got to receive it. we got to accept it. we got to embrace it. And then after receiving it, he plowed the land. He literally, he dug a trench all around it. He put up a fence. He protected it. And then he cleared its stones. He pulled anything out of the land that would prevent planting good things. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land. He cleared its stones. And today's verb, 
planted it with the best vines. Let's review how we become a disciple and what we've learned in the last three weeks. Show me my picture of a wasteland, Johnny. So, this is a representation of my life. This is a representation of your life, every single one of you, before Jesus came into your heart and rescued you. This is a picture that just demonstrates how dry life is without God, how empty life is without a Savior, how broken and cracked and useless life on planet Earth is without our Savior, Jesus Christ, coming in and giving free reign to rule, to love, to encourage, and to strengthen. This is a picture of what life looks like when the best thing that you have going for you is that you're the best Fortnite player or that you got the highest score on a video game. I, I know how that feels. Like, yes, I won after 72 hours and my hands are covered in Cheetos. Like, I'm the victor. If that's the best thing you've got going for you, you know what, that's great. I hear those guys can make a lot of money, like three of them. But still, that's not really worth living for. That's never going to fully satisfy you. The, the, the win is going to fade. If the best thing that you've got going for you in this life is that when you post something on Instagram, within 10 minutes you've got 100 likes, bully for you. I'm, I'm jealous, right? Sinner. But you know that those likes don't really represent anything real. You know that Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and, you know, insert your platform here, that's a false reality. That can't satisfy you. If the best thing you've got going for you is that you think, I'm going to make enough money, my grades are okay, I am going to achieve a lot, great. That's good. I'm proud of you when you guys achieve things. Proud of myself when I achieve things. But those achievements are not going to last. They're not going to make us happy and satisfied forever. It fades. Here's another one. If the best thing that you've got going for you today is that you're doing a good job managing your pain. If the best thing that you've got going for you today is that you think you're doing a good job hiding that thing that you don't want anybody to know about and you feel nobody knows about, that is not what God's best for you is. And sooner or later, it's coming out. Sooner or later, that fear and that shame that you are squelching is going to get you. And thank God that we have rescue, refreshment, and revival available to us. Once we realize, which is so essential, that I can have better than this, we owe it to ourselves, and God has demanded, like, ask for it, receive it. The Bible says, you have not because you ask not. Well, God, I don't want that. I want this. Johnny, show me my picture of the vineyard. That is the life that God has provided for us. The contrast could not be more stark between those two images of life pre-Jesus and life with Jesus. Look at this loveliness, this richness, this purpose implicit in that picture of what a life with Jesus looks like. Step one, verb one, action one of being a disciple is receive the invitation. Accept that this is what God wants to give you. This is the life he wants to bless you with, a life of identity, a life of purpose, a life of beauty and authenticity and reality, a life of when I do something, it actually matters. It actually makes a difference, and not just on this dirt planet that we live on, this temporary place. 
eternal differences are made when we live in the life of Jesus. And we receive, as I mentioned, by believing in our heart that Jesus is real, that he came to this earth, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, and we will too. Believing that is how we receive it. And then declaring our belief in the most beautiful, the most symbolic, the most biblical way of establishing, receiving, and starting that relationship is through baptism. Declaring to, I don't care who sees me, I believe in Jesus and I belong to him. And if you have not made that decision, if you have not been baptized, today's the day. Let's go. In our clothes, I would be honored to baptize you and welcome you into the kingdom of God and see if you don't wake up tomorrow feeling different. All right, picture number two. Here's a picture of my garden that I've been using to illustrate these verbs, this vineyard, this idea that God gives us a garden. And so that previous picture is what life will look like. But to start, like my garden's a little small, and as you'll note, it's a little shabby. Um, We don't start off all picture perfect. We got a little bit of work to do. Um, Step one is receive the invitation of the vineyard, of the garden, Step two is protect it. If you're given something of great value, your first step is to protect it. And even in this picture, you can see these railroad ties that I put up in my yard protect my garden from the rest of the yard. Everything in here is set apart. It's special. It's got a purpose. It's not like the rest of the yard. It is something else. There's better things available here. But as you can see, as many of us do, I kind of let my garden go. Um, I kind of let some junk in. I kind of let my borders um, not do their job. And so it's not really useful here. But God tells us, and I talked about two weeks ago, the way that we establish boundaries in our spiritual life, the way that we protect what God has given, our identity in him is um, seen here. We establish healthy boundaries by being people that tell the truth. If you will just tell the truth, you will find it protects you from so much harm so much pain, so much fear, so much regret. Just be people. Disciples are people who tell the truth. Disciples are people who do the right thing. If you have received the Holy Spirit inside of you after confessing your faith in Jesus and getting baptized, then you have the spirit of truth in you. And so you not only can and should tell the truth, but you know the right thing to do. And what's amazing is that even before God gives us the Holy Spirit, he gave every single person a conscience, so you know You know, if you think about it, the right thing to do in almost any circumstance. Just be people that do it. Just do the right thing when presented with a tough thing. We tell the truth. We do the right thing. And we make peace with people. One of the most detrimental things that you can do in your faith, in your life, is be someone who refuses to forgive others. We, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we apologize first and we always accept other people's apologies. When we do that, it protects us from the bitterness, from drinking the poison of holding a grudge. We as disciples live by faith. We read this book, and we step out in faith, and we try doing what it says. And man, if you haven't tried that out, if you haven't read something in this book and thought, man, that is countercultural, that is crazy, that, I don't even know what that would look like. If you have read something like that, and you haven't just tried it yet, just tested it yet, I dare you to put some feet on your faith and read this book and do what it says. It is the most exciting thing about your life. It is one of the most powerful things you can do with your life. Read this book and do what it says. So we receive the vineyard, we protect the vineyard, and then we go to work. 
And if we have protected it well, the next step is we start to clean it. We start getting all the leaves and all the rocks and all the stones and all the roots out so that we can see, okay, you know what? There's actually some fruit in there. There's actually some life in there. And now I've got this rich soil since I've removed the stones and removed the roots that I can begin to plant in. Um, if there's anything in you today that you could say honestly is preventing you from reading this book, if there's anything in your heart or your mind that is preventing you from embracing God is real and he loves me. Um, I was created as a, a prince, a princess. I am royalty. I am more than a conqueror. If there's anything in you that says otherwise, that says less than, then you might have a stone of, of pain in your heart that needs to be removed. You might have a root of bitterness because you haven't forgiven someone or yourself or God for something that happened that needs to come out so that this can be what your heart looks like, this rich soil that is just ready to receive good things. So we receive the rich and fertile hill, this idea of a, a garden of a life. We protect it. We clean it out and clear it up. Why? So that we can plant our gardens with the best vines. What does that mean? I didn't know the first time I read it. I love reading this book. I would prefer that you spend an hour reading this book a day than you come here. I want you to come here. It's biblical to come here. Good things happen when you come here. But reading this book takes it to a whole nother level. It is so personal. It is so rich. I love reading it. I look forward to reading it. If you don't, ask the Lord to change your heart today. But I have spent hours and hours and hours reading Isaiah 5, 1 through 2. I have poured over it. I have researched it. It is like a constantly unraveling mystery. It is like a, a continual adventure reading these Three sentences that are so essential and transformative to what it means to live a life for Jesus Christ. And because the first time I read it, I didn't understand it. And because I was like, how is this discipleship? I used a resource to help me get it. And it is my top recommendation resource. And if you have pen and paper, I encourage you to write this down. I went to a site, and if you don't know it, here it is, BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com is a tremendous resource that you can put in any verse or any keyword, and it will search the whole Bible and let you know, here it is. Here's a different, here's, you can pick it different languages. It's in Spanish. It's in Hebrew. It's in Aramaic. It's in Czechoslovakian. Like, you pick your language, and it's available. You have different translations. So if you like the NLT, which is what I teach from, great. If you like ESV, which is what Jeff teaches from, great. If you like, you know, insert your translation here, it's got it. So it's all these different versions of the same book in all these different languages. And what I really love about it is this tool on the right that says study this. And I can click on that, and it brings up commentary. It brings up um, older, smarter, dead guys' opinions about what this word or this sentence or this chapter is about. And I can read through that and gain understanding. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 is 70 words. And there are books written on it that are available to me in this commentary. And so as I started to research, what is this talking about in general? And what is this talking about when it comes to planting the best vines? What does that mean? How is that discipleship? Well, 
two verses that I'll share with you that directly quote Isaiah 5, 1 through 2, that help me understand what it is to plant the best vines. The first verse is in the Old Testament. Numbers 13, 23 says, When the spies came to the valley of Sorek, they cut down the branch of a vine with a single cluster of grapes. The cluster was so large that it took two men to carry it. When Jesus, when Father God, when we as humans were rescued from slavery, whether present day or back in Egypt, when God rescued his people from Egypt and brought them to the promised land, he said, go and take it. But the people were a little timid. And so they sent spies into the promised land, and two of them went and got one cluster of grapes. You know the little picture where you like feeding people grapes? That's what it is, a little cluster of grapes. It was so big that they had to put it on a stick, and it took two of them just to lift it. Grapes. That's the imagery we see, and that is a direct reference to the vine that we're talking about, the vine of Sorek. The vine of Sorek grows in the promised land. And we've been promised something from the Lord, haven't we? This vineyard. And the vine of Sorek has so much fruit. It's so good for you. It's so rich that you can't even enjoy it by yourself. Like, it spills out of your life. You need more people to be part of you just to get the full appreciation of how good it is. And God used this vine in the Old Testament to demonstrate to his people, I answer prayer. Because you had a need, and here it is. So much that you can't even pick it up. God used the vine of Sorek to demonstrate, I bless those who obey me. Because he said, go to the promised land, and they did, and they're like, this is so amazing, we can't even pick it up. God used the vine of Sorek to richly provide all that his people needed. Now, that's great for those guys that are dead and gone, but what about the New Testament? What does it say for me today? John 15, chapter, chapter 15, verse 1 and 7, Jesus said, I am the true vine of Sorek, and my father is the gardener. If you live in me, and my words live in you, you may ask for anything that you want, and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my father. Do you see the answer to blessing, the answer to prayer? The blessing, the fruitfulness, just like in the Old Testament, right there in the New Testament, as Jesus Christ proclaims of himself, I am the true vine of Sorek. So the vine of Sorek is Jesus Christ, and it says right there that we are to plant Jesus' words in our hearts, and when we do, he lives in us. He empowers us. He strengthens us. He moves on our behalf, and as we plant Jesus' words the words of this book, every word of this book, in our hearts. He answers our prayer. He blesses our obedience. He makes us faithful, and discipleship happens. So the big question, how do we plant the words of God in our hearts? Read this book. Read the Bible. Read it whenever it works for you to read it. I don't care if you're on the toilet. I don't care if it's the first thing you do when you wake up. I don't care if it's on the bus. I don't care if it's in the morning or nighttime. Whenever you have time, whenever you can engage, I like to do it when my mind is like most up. So it's 7 a.m., Starbucks with a cup of joe. Read this book and let it 
lead you. Let it encourage you. Let it refresh you. You want to plant Jesus in your heart, this vine that brings life and blessing? Then read this book and do your best to believe every word and then walk it out. Here's my picture of my garden again. And just this week, I started planting things in it. And the same thing will happen for you as you read the word of the Lord. I took that good, rich earth, and I planted some sunflowers. I planted these little purple guys so that butterflies will come, life will come, beauty will come into my garden. I planted tomato plants. I planted herbs for Brooks' teas. My son planted a cucumber plant. And let me just tell you, if you try to eat the cucumber, he'll kill you. But still, I planted all these life-giving, beauty-breathing Um, nourishing things in my garden, and boom, there they are. The same thing happens when you plant these words in your heart. They produce fruit, beauty, nourishment, and not just for me and you, but everyone around us. So what's so special about reading the Bible that these things can happen? I'm going to read you a few scriptures real quick, and we're going to just kind of acknowledge that we're going to read some scriptures from scripture about scripture. Do you follow me? doesn't matter. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, the word of God, this book, is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing the divide between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. And this book and every word in it is able to judge the thoughts and the will or feelings of the heart. Reading this book is like cutting straight to the heart of a matter and help you understand, is this true or is this feeling? Is this reality or this emotion? Is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? Is this good for me and God's will or is it bad for me and not? The Bible helps us embrace who God really is and who he created us to be, the two most important things to know in this life. It helps us embrace those things because it's alive and it's active and no other book in history can say that. This book helps us embrace who God is and who he created us to be because it is sharper than a double-edged sword and it cuts through the ugly emotions and the false beliefs that the enemy uses to push us around and drive us into bad decisions and make us feel like we got to hide out in our room all the time and not see people. Are you believing any lie about who God created you to be? If you believe that you are small, that you are ugly, that you are forgotten, that you sinned too much to ever be useful to the Lord, that is a lie from hell, and this book can remedy it with one reading. If you are believing a lie about your life, that you were put on this earth to get really good grades and to make a lot of money and that that will satisfy you, that is a lie because there's so much more available, and this book can help you change the way that you think about that in a reading. If you believe a lie about who God is, if you are in this room this morning and you think, God doesn't love me, God's mad at me, God isn't real, this book read in faith, these words planted in your heart will change that belief like that if you let it. Change the way that you think about who God is and who he created you to be by reading this book. Ephesians chapter 6 16 through 17 that we read last week, maybe the week before. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
It's our only offensive weapon. It's our only offensive defense that we are given in this life. The Bible helps us embrace who God is, who he created us to be, because it reminds us the battle is real. The battle for your soul and mine is happening right now today, all day, every day, in our minds. And so we need to shore up our minds in truth. The Bible reminds us that we are not powerless, that we are powerful. The Bible reminds us that the devil is a liar. And how do you beat a liar? If someone is lying, 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 and you feel stuck, the only wing you can do and the best tool you have at your defense is truth. If you've got somebody lying about you, speak truth, and there is no way to counteract it. Tell the truth. Read truth. Plant truth in your heart, and you will find that you have a mighty sword in your hand that reminds you all day, every day that you read this book, I know who I am in the Lord, and I know my Lord is for me. 2 Timothy 3, uh, chapter 3, 16 through 17, all scripture, every word of this book is what? Inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip us, his people, to do every good work. The Bible helps us embrace who God really is, who he created us to be, because it tells us the truth all day, every day in love. It helps us understand those things because it says the hard thing when you need to hear it. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And the only thing hiding this love is if you leave it on your counter and don't open it. Open it up and let God love you in the right direction. Let him encourage you. Let him correct you if you need it. Because it's better to go on the right path than stay on the wrong. And this book will help equip every single one of you to live the life of love that we're called to. To make disciples the way we were designed to. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried to find you, Lord. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. I planted it there and I've hidden it away. I'm protecting it so that I might not sin against you. The Bible helps us embrace who God really is and who he created us to be because it helps us stay pure. And students, if you think your purity doesn't matter, you are not reading this book because the devil wants to make you live and encourage you to live impure lives, lives ruled by lust, which leads to shame, which leads to fear. Um, the, the devil, when you're alone in your room, wants to tempt you to do things that perverts the way that you think about yourself, about sex, about marriage, about who God is and who he created you to be. Purity is so important. And right there it said, that this book will help you remain pure. It will help you resist temptation. It will help you stay close to God instead of doing the thing that makes you feel so far from him. This book reminds us that we are not ruled by our emotions. We are ruled, we are to be ruled by truth. This never changes. Our emotions change day to day. The Bible helps us embrace who God really is and who he created us to be. 
And we see that in Deuteronomy 32, my last verse. Listen, O sky, so that I may speak. Pay attention, O earth, to what I say. Let my teachings fall on you like raindrops. Let what I say collect like the dew, like rain sprinkling the grass, like showers on the green plants. This book helps us embrace who God is and who he created us to be because it reminds us that God is God and we are not. And that rescue and refreshment and revival is available all day, every day, if we will just get into this book. So receive my challenge. Read this book. Plant these words in your heart today. Find time today before the sun goes down to read this book and see if it doesn't make a difference. See if it doesn't speak to right what you're wrestling with. You don't know where to start? Man, just open it. You want a suggestion where to start? Read any of the 150 Psalms. Read the Gospel of John. Be encouraged. Be refreshed like dew falling from heaven. You guys may remember from last week, if you were here, that I used some clips from Lord of the Rings, and I showed you a picture of this king, Theoden, and here he is, and he is not having a good day. He's got scales over his eyes. He is disheveled. He is lost. He has no purpose. Like, look at that guy. He doesn't even know where he is because he's been listening to lies, the way we all listen to lies and liars from time to time, and he is embraced the lie, he has believed the lie, and as a result, he doesn't even know who he is. He doesn't even know where he is. He doesn't know what his purpose is. He has forgotten. I'm royalty. I'm the king. I'm powerful. That's how the enemy works. Lies on top of lies to get us to a state where we just sit and do nothing and feel and think the worst about ourselves. And yet, then this man comes along and in an instant speaks truth to the king, and boom, he's back. He's aware in a heartbeat. He just knows, I am the king. He is rescued. He's refreshed. He's revived because this man comes and speaks truth and comforts and encourages him. And boom, picture two. There he is in an instant, himself again. And I told you to remember this last week, but the first thing the king does after he experiences rescue is he takes up his sword. He picks up his sword and his strength returns. He picks up his sword and he remembers, I'm the king. He remembers, I have a purpose bigger than myself. He takes up his sword and it reminds him, you are so much more than that liar would have you believe. I want to close with a picture of the fullness of the transformation that takes place with just a little bit of time of him holding truth, of him holding on to the sword of truth. And it's just as simple for you. If you will just take up the sword of the word and just rely on it and just look to it. Every day this week, you will find that at the end of the week, you are a different person. Look at the fullness of Theoden's transformation just a few weeks after picking up his sword.
Courage, Mary. Courage for our friends. Form ranks, you maggots! Form ranks! Pikes in front! Archers behind! Want to just finish the movie now? Yeah. yeah, me too. Students, it is past time for us to take up the sword of the word. It is past time for us to read this book every day and to rely on what it says and to live as the people God calls us to be. When we press in and walk out the words of this book, nothing can stop you. If you are feeling beat up anywhere in your life, there are answers, there is direction, there is encouragement, there is rescue, refreshment, revival available in this book. 
It is personal. It is intimate. It is between you and the Lord. Take this up today and see what God has to say specifically to you, to your heart, to what you're wrestling with. And know that when you are done, just like every psalm that David begins where he's complaining and he's whining and he's like, it's too much. And by the end of the psalm, the end of one poem, he's like, let's go. What happened? He let God's word into his heart and it changed everything. The same will always be true for you. Pick this book up and learn how to use it. Remember who God really is. Remember and own who he says you are. Hebrews 11 is a prophetic word spoken in the New Testament of those people and the people to come, which includes those of us in this room. And it says, by faith, God's people will overthrow kingdoms. You in this room were meant to rule with justice. Receive what God has promised. Shut the mouths of lions. Quench the flames of fire. Escape death even death by the edge of the sword. Our weakness will turn into strength. We will become strong in battle and we will put whole armies to flight. You need this. It's who you were created to be. The world around you needs this. It's why we were created. It's what we are to be. If you need more convincing of any of this, I dare you, I beg you, Read this book today. It will agree with me. Bailey is going to wrap up our sermon with a special word for you guys, so give her your attention. Um, as Jess was talking about this sermon and what he was going to preach on, I was reminded of a, a vision that I had years ago, so maybe six years ago. I had a vision uh, of a field, and I'm no farmer, so I don't know what kind of plants were growing, but there was a field and there was a bed of thorns that was growing over the field and choking the life of everything underneath it. And at the time, I, I just asked God, what are, you, what are you trying to say? What does this even mean? And I didn't hear anything and I asked again and I didn't hear anything. And so I asked for years, God, what does that mean? And I heard nothing. Um, and then two years later, I started working at Wood's Edge. This is about four years ago. And I had a dream at that time that, again, was just really clear to me that it was from the Lord. And in my dream, I was walking down a dirt path. And on my left, I saw the same field from my vision from before. And the field was just dead and desolate. It was like a desert um, similar to the picture that Justin showed at the beginning of this sermon, it was just this like wasteland. And in the middle of it was a group of people. And as I got closer to them, I could hear them um, weeping. I could hear them crying. And so I kind of made my way through this crowd of people. And in the middle of them, there was an old man and he was on his knees in the dirt. And he had his hands in the dirt and he was sobbing. And he said, who can heal our land? And I walked up and I, I knelt with him and I put my hands over his into the dirt and I began to pray. And then little sprouts began to come out of the ground in between our fingers. And he was crying and the people were crying and they all began to praise God saying, who is this God that can heal this thing that was so broken, can heal this thing that was so dead? 
Um, and again, I had this dream and it was so clear, but I still didn't know what it meant. And so I asked God, what does this mean? And I heard nothing. And that was four years ago. And then this past year, this summer, we were at Mission Houston and we were with many of you in this room and we were singing in the upper room at the end of the night. And there came a point where we were singing um, kind of over our city. We were singing things over the city of Houston, over the people of Houston. And I had that vision and that dream come to mind and I just heard God say, this is it. This is what you've been waiting for, this is it. And so I cried and it just became so obvious to me like that you guys were it, that we were gonna be the ones that would walk into this dry and weary and desolate land and that we were gonna cry out to our God and that he was gonna bring healing and that people would praise him because of it. And so we're gonna respond and there's a couple ways that you can do that. Um, there's communion and tithe up here like normal and we're gonna sing and we're gonna worship. But on those cards that you've been writing on, um, I want you guys to pray and write two things on them. I want you to write um, a prayer asking God to draw you to read his word. Because when we read the word, like Justin said, it tells us who God is and it tells us who we are in Christ. And how else are we going to walk into this broken land before us? How else are we going to do that unless we're confident that our God is the one who can heal it? And how else are we going to do that unless we know that we are created for it, unless we know that we're called to it. That's the, that's the confidence we need to walk into that, and you get that from the Word. And so ask that God would uh, give you a hunger and a thirst that only His Word could satisfy, that you would be excited for it and that you would be filled by it. And then the second thing I want you to pray for is uh, I want you to pray for our city and to pray for our people. Pray for the people sitting next to you. Pray for your schools. Uh, we want to see revival of a dead, weary wasteland. And that's only through our God. He's the only one who can save. So let's ask him for it. Like Justin said, we have not because we ask not. So let's ask him to step in to this place. And then we're going to sing because our God is worth singing about. And so take your time, write those prayers out, come take communion when you're ready, and then we're going to sing.